Hello, Brian. Hello, Warren. How's it going, man? Good. Can't complain. Good. How you doing this evening? I'm good, man. I just finished work. Kind of late, but it's worth it. I'm getting ready for a little vacation, so excited about that. Um, nice. Oscar buzz is done. I'm binging yep. a show I'm about to finish. So all in all, so I feel pretty good. Pretty good about my life. How about you? Uh, not too bad. I had a day off today, so I um, spent the day just doing my usual routine, getting up, working out for 30 minutes, made this cool Tunisian dish for breakfast called shakshuka. I saw that. looks delicious. It is awesome. It's like tomato stew with uh, eggs that are poached inside the tomato stew. Mm. So it is amazing. Uh, and then I uh, went out, ran some errands. Saw a cool movie, Fighting With My Family, which I would love to talk about. Yeah. Because it's about wrestling, and it's wrestling season right now. So that was awesome. And other than that, I listened to uh, Joe Rogan interview Alex Jones for five hours straight, which there was mind-blowing. Like, uh, if you ever wanted to just hardline every alien conspiracy or government conspiracy talk at one time, um, definitely listen to this podcast episode <laughs> because, it, wow, it goes into some crazy-ass places. Nice. But it's uh, it's hilarious to listen to this and you don't I mean would I say Alex Jones actually wholly believes in everything he talks about it's it's a fine line man <laughs> it's <laughs> tough to know um, he definitely he, he definitely is uh, he's definitely not batting a thousand <laughs> let's just say that uh, <laughs> hopefully I, I know our listeners can kind of gather <laughs> gather what you're putting down there so all right yeah and um but I, it was still i found it to be entertaining and also just really interesting just listening to hearing what he believe quote unquote believes in just because of his reputation and everything nice um but on that, I also finished uh, True Detective Season 3 today. Nice. Uh, Watched the final episode a few hours ago. and fresh in your mind. Um, yeah, it's fresh in my mind. I I have a... I like what they did with this season a lot. Well, before um, we get into that, we are the Down in Front Podcast last call. What's going on, Brylin? <laughs> Not I know, much. I know we, uh, we hang out, uh, we try to make this a little bit different, just have more conversational pieces, yeah. and uh, always try to have um, more just conversations about movies and TVs and things that we're doing. It's a little bit different than our main sort of Down in Front podcast, uh, where we talk about what else we've been watching and drinking. We kind of cut all that filler out, we've cut all that fluff out, and we're only going to be talking about one thing today. True Detective, Season 3, Super Pumped. Ryland's here, Warren's here. Yep. I'm sipping on some uh, sweet tea and vodka. What you sipping on? Uh, I'm sipping on water right now. There you go. Because I drank about three coffees today, and I was debating whether or not to get another coffee, but I was like, nah. Four coffees is a lot of coffee. <laughs> it is. Yeah, I usually drink one coffee a day. So oh, damn. I don't know. I was just craving coffee today for some reason. There you go. There you go. Well, I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm pumped to uh, get your thoughts on this because I know um, – I think we had a chance to talk a little bit about season two of True Detective, uh, mm-hmm. and that was 
pretty much of a disappointing all around. Um, I enjoyed it for what it was as its whole when it was there. Um, but just because it was kind of coming off of season one, that was pretty, pretty groundbreaking, pretty great. I think almost everybody really enjoyed season one. Um, season two was just a bit of a letdown and disappointment. So going into season three, you know, starring Mahershala Ali and Stephen Dorff, um, yeah, if I could I go back to that, because I do want to talk about the first season, couple yeah, seasons sure. for a little bit. Um, yeah, like season one, uh, it was phenomenal, like season of storytelling of a hard-boiled film noir detective story that's embedded into the Southern mysticism and Southern lore and things like that. Mm-hmm. Um, it, I mean, and also was incredibly active by Matthew McConaughey and Woody Harrelson. Like when you got two actors like that, I mean, you really don't expect, um, like second, just second fiddle type of acting. It was definitely, uh, incredible, uh, what they did with that first season. Um, and, uh, it was definitely fitting with like a lot of modern Southern Gothic tales as well, which I really appreciate. Cause that's probably my favorite, genre work that's out there when it comes to novels and reading. Um, and then season two, season two, I find interesting because I actually do appreciate what they did with it. I do feel like it is a little bit more derivative of the type of detective story they're trying to tell. I mean, it's more the West coast noir story, which is very tough to actually capture. I think because if you look at like the two best, representations of like West Coast uh, detective stories uh, Chinatown and LA Confidential they are always about like these real estate development properties that have gone awry and all the underlying hands that are involved in it and they do get super complex and weird but also at the same time balancing that they are set in beautiful sunny California's at the same time. So how do you bring out that rough underbelly of quote unquote, one of the prettiest places on the planet? Uh, so I always find that to be an interesting struggle. And I think that they kind of leaned a little heavily on saying like, Hey, let's just do it the way Chinatown did it and tell that story again, just with different characters. And I found that, yeah, even though it wasn't, as spellbinding as the first season, I still I still enjoyed it for what it was. Fair. Um, and then this third season, this third season when they they it's placed in Arkansas, and I thought they were going to kind of tread familiar territory from season one. You do start to get those feelings at the first couple episodes, but then uh, I I I mean overall I love where this story ends. Mm-hmm. I love that. This is kind, even though it's called True Detective, this story is not necessarily about the case that's happening. Even though they do some very cool things, I think, with the case at the end, I find that it's about learning about a lot of different ideas, whether it's um, going through hardships in many, asp- in many stages of life, mm-hmm. um, not being the greatest at your job, which I really appreciate because we, we see super cops in the first one in the first season. So it's good, like kind of lead the audience astray to like find out, Hey, they're detectives. 
they're more just average detectives, which I thought was really cool. And then, um, and then also they cover so many really cool, uh, ideas that, and themes I think are really important to think about, like growing old and facing mortality or elder care or, um, even though you mess up, hoping for the best out of the outcomes. And I kind of like that this story ends on more of a happier note than the others, too. Yeah, I mean, and so uh, at the top, you know, the one thing I did want to mention to everybody is we're going to be ruining and spoiling every uh, every season of True Detective. So if you haven't seen this, it's probably not the best episode to be tuning in on. Uh, but yeah, I mean, I, I definitely do agree um, with you for what you're seeing there, Brylin. And I, I like the fact that each and every one of these seasons were different. Mm-hmm. I think... What really failed, though, about season two was that the the scope and the characters was it just felt like it was too many, um, and the storylines felt a bit messy and a bit muddled. Um, I wasn't sure if I should be rooting for or focus on Colin um, Farrell's character um, or Vince Vaughn's character mm-hmm. or um, oh, man, I always forget this guy. I always Rachel McAdams. No, 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 oh. no, McAdams, but the other guy. Uh, who was a detective, but like not, or did a police officer. Always oh, Taylor Kitsch. Thank you. Yeah. <laughs> so, you know, you, you basically had those four characters and you're like, uh, I, okay, I guess I'm, uh, I guess I'm like kind of bought in cause I assume Rachel McAdams is good, but then maybe Colin Farrell's. And so I felt like already what season two, the first episode was really tough because you're we like, what's, what's happening here? This is some, a new environment, a new land, right? You're, you're titling this true detective. And I think they already did themselves a, a little bit of disservice starting season one off such as a high Southern, just the shit you had like, uh, religious beliefs and a lot of stuff that's being kind of ingrained into there that people can kind of sort of understand, uh, to then completely switch it up and do an entirely different location was kind of a bummer. Um, so I really like that they brought it back to a, a more smaller scale. You know, they only had two detectives, right? Um, mm-hmm. in this one, and we focus on Mahershal Ali's character. Uh, who he plays by Purple Haze or uh, Wayne Hayes. And so Purple I think Hayes. the first thing that I really enjoyed about this season was they introduced that he has some sort of condition. Um, they didn't really necessarily kind of talk about it, but I think one of the first lines was, you know, uh, you have issues with the brain. Don't whine about it. Suck it up. You know, he listens to the tape every day and kind of goes about his day. Up, um, so I thought that was actually kind of pretty cool. And just the way the – Ways that they're telling the story, the devices that they're using now to tell the story in this particular um, season, especially because we're going in two, three different time periods, 1980s, 1990s, and then 2000, uh, 2015. And so because we're jumping through these three times and we have our main character who at times may not be a reliable narrator, he's having difficulties and issues with his memory which we're going back and through times, I felt like that was a really good compliment of some really pretty awesome storytelling to be an exceptional. Um, he, I think I thought he was an exceptional. I thought he was the exceptional true detective. Um, we got, uh, Matthew McConaughey's character, Russ, right? I think it's Russ. Yeah. Uh, in season one. And then 
Woody Harrelson is good, but really, really, we, we're, we're there for rest. Yeah. Season two, I'm not sure who was the exceptional one. I don't know, uh, if there was, uh, but I think, I think as, as exactly how you said, right? They kind of like disbanded that idea. This season here, you know, because Hayes was the LARP they called, you know, long range reconnaissance, I think he, he kind of truly kind of dialed in. Uh, right. but it was also kind of focused on, I think you had talked about that, uh, a little bit of the, uh, society in the uh, police force around him in the you know either the fact that he was black or the fact that there were so many things that were preventing him from doing his job you know the societal racism the gov- uh, the, the things that just kind of implemented and instituted institutional racism there we go um, yeah. it just he could never do what he really wanted to do and what he kind of you know fought in the war for so um, I liked them opening up this particular kind of season three, I like how they showed a bit more um, human elements and human emotions. In season one, it felt like they were a bit superhuman. Season two, we're not entirely sure what they were. Season three, it, it, it brings it back. It brings it back home, right? But not just in the southern. Like I, don't, I have never been to Arkansas, right? I have no idea what that yeah. that life is like. So they give you a bit of a slice <laughs> of life of what it looks like, what it feels like being a black detective. Uh, back in 1980 to go through with that and having a partner who's a white um, detective and what that looks like for their particular um, sort of relationships through everything, everything else. So yeah. already – I was fishing you know, in those woods last year. So. Oh, oh, nice. There you go. Uh, but I mean but already like the premise of the show I think was already better <laughs> than season yeah. two at least because you have a bit more buy-in, right? You have some smaller characters. You start figuring out what's trying to happening and – as I usually do, I'm trying to like solve the piece and like come up with my theories more and more. Uh, but sometimes the show's not about that. Sometimes it is. You know, as we went along, I was definitely thinking, "Oh, did this happen? Did he kill him? What happened there?" And in the end, uh, I think it ended up being all an accident. Um, with it, I'm still I'm still curious to talk about that because I still have some a, a couple of things I do want to talk about. You have some but, conspiracy you know, theories about I, this? Of course, you know, <laughs> come on, man. Uh, but I, I, I do have some 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 theories. But um, in the end, you know, the whole story, the, the the big thing was, you know, it it was just an accident, and they tried to cover it up, and they tried yeah. to make it so that um, she was okay. And there were just such beautiful, such sad moments that they had the ability to put into this actual TV show that I was just, I, I was just so glad they did that. So uh, that's our, I guess that's our small review, uh, overview of the season, uh, <laughs> yeah. season three as a whole, but I really enjoyed it. But man, I got, I got to start the show off here and says MVP. I know it's easy to say Mahershala Ali is the MVP I mean- of this, but. What they're both doing here is phenomenal, Ugh. but Steven Dorff, you don't My expect goodness. it from him. Not at all. Yeah. I mean, like, when I saw Steven Dorff's name on the credits, I was just like, okay. Yeah. That's, I know what Mahershala is capable of. I know Steven Dorff's capable of being a cheesy vampire. Yeah. <laughs> and it's, it's such a bummer because it was like, he he's really good. And then you feel a bit saddened of like, where has this dude been? I really hope this kind of resurrects yeah. his career. Cause I really like, I really like this character, which is completely different. Uh, and yeah. he ended up being, you know, arguably 
he was uh, one of the good people, you know, one of the protagonists. And at times, Wayne Hayes or Pur- Purple Hayes ended up being the antagonist a lot in the story, a lot in the scenarios uh, of what happens and how um, each and every one of the police cases has to be closed down, ultimately because something that he may have done or achieved and kind of uh, drastically kind of changed the um, the case. So I, I like the fact that... Uh, Dorf's character, his name's uh, Lieutenant Wes. West? Mm, yeah, Roland West. Roland West. Roland West. Roland West. Yeah. Uh, so I uh, I really enjoy his character a lot. I think he gets my MVP award at the top of the show. Yeah. I mean, uh, the character Detective Roland West, I love him. He reminds me of some people I used to work with that were former uh, police officers. Mm-hmm. And... I mean, he's he's a neat character because he does have that detective edge to him where it's like, you know what, I won't have a normal life. I'm not going to have family and kids because of this life I live and this job I have. But also at the same time, he does everything he can to be a good friend to, um, to Wayne. Uh, and um, I, I, think it's, I think it's really cool because – I mean, a lot of things about institutionalized racism, especially on police force, we've seen this be in uh, cinema and TV shows and mm-hmm. be addressed a lot of times, especially with like Black Klansmen that just came out uh, recently, which uh, takes a very hard-nosed stance that it's real, it exists, uh, it probably will always be there just because of uh, racial differences, and that how how do we overcome it is like something they don't ever address. And I love that through the conversations that um, Hayes and West have, like driving down in cop cars and everything, um, Hayes brings it up and everything. And it's like, um, I mean, I'm not the right pigmentation, he says, when it comes to like uh, Roland getting a promotion and being head of the state task force in the 90s versus uh, what they did in the 80s. Uh, but it's also um, the way Roland West approaches those conversations, I think, is very authentic and actually true to what a lot of people kind of feel is that, I mean, all right, you're griping at me about this huge thing, but I'm just one person. Mm-hmm. And if, you, if you're telling me what the problem is, like, hey, I know what the problem is, but we're two people. We got to do something bigger than that to actually make it happen. And, and necessarily right here and now, when we actually have to actually be detectives and investigate a case, are we going to solve this bigger picture issue? The, the truth is no. And I love that they actually address that when they go to um, that community of uh, that community that uh, they find the one-eyed black man and they start asking yeah. him questions and all of a sudden it's everybody's on edge all of a sudden because there's two cops rolling up in this black community um and i mean the one-eyed uh, black guy he starts you know yelling at his neighbors hey come look at these cops they're harassing me and everything uh really well done scene but also at the same time detective was just I love his just frank honesty about everything is like, I know we're not going to solve 
all the ills of our race <laughs> of our race relations here on your front lawn. <laughs> but I'm wondering if you could help us out a little bit. Yeah. <laughs> and I'm just those moments where Detective West is just like frank and honest about the obvious sin. Um the the state of things is makes him such a compelling character that he he is showing that like hey I'm supporting you I'm here to help you purple uh, but um, this institutionalized racism probably a bigger fish than we can fry right now we need to focus on our case mm-hmm. yeah and you, you know you did mention a, a bunch of things there and you know the uh, want to talk about the uh, one eyed black guy was not the main one and I think. One of the lines yeah. – uh, and this is uh, I think first or second episode now. But one of the lines that really caught me was he goes and they're like interrogating him. He says, you know, we're looking to see if you saw um, some kids. He's like, well, some white kids because they were in the paper. That's the only reason why you're going to be here. That's the only reason why you're asking me. And they're like trying to kind of hassle and they try to kind of shake him down. And uh, I, I, I always think it's curious because now that I go back and kind of think about the entire season, I'm like there are some – they were some bruisers. West and Hayes have beat, beat beat the shit out of a lot of people. Yeah. Um, and it definitely you can see what you can see it now as obviously you can kind of go through. Even before they even got on this case, they were just drinking. Uh, and West is just yep. kind of shooting his guy, shooting so, random things. Yep. So there, there are definitely some bruises. I thought that was actually kind of funny because if you then fast forward it all the way to the last episode when they go and approach the correct one-eyed guy, uh, Mister June, uh, that was also hilarious to see two uh, older guys kind of <laughs> walking guys up with, with guns. I'm like, yeah, I was like, no way they're going like, to beat this dude up, are they? I'd love to see terrible. a whole season of geriatric true detective. Ah, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that, that's the next season. That'd be great. Yeah. I'm, I'm all over that. Uh, I just, I, I do like that because we are kind of introduced to some of these weird or interesting character quirks, but we also are provided more of an understanding of these characters, of kind of what they went through, and uh, with a series of flashbacks in the um, passages through time of going back from the 80s, 90s, and in the 2000s, we are now seeing, you know, how these people were kind of meant to be, but during that time, we, we, we still aren't sure how Hayes and West became to be, right? We are, when we are first introduced to them, they already are a unit, and we see them go yeah. through a lot of shit that they've never been through before, and then what happens in the end, and how they ended up becoming friends in the end, uh, which is great. But I, I, I do like that we've gotten a couple of uh, breadcrumbs that was kind of sprinkled through um, some of these early episodes as they're trying to um, figure it out. And I also like the fact that as they're trying to figure out a story in the 80s, Hayes in the 2015s being interviewed by a woman who's saying that this, this, this seemed like a cover up. And he was like, I, I just can't remember. And so you can see that there's some things that's kind of obvious, but you're not entirely sure. Was there a file play, file play? We don't necessarily know. It did Hayes in the West do something? So I just like how they, they end up kind of constructing a lot of this storytelling. They were giving us bits and pieces while still giving us mounds of information and exposition. We just didn't know it yet, right? It, it took us a yeah. whole episode or another episode down the line to be like, oh, man, I got to go back and rewatch that first or second episode to, to see what I may have missed. So I, I really liked um, how they were constructing us learning about these characters. Yeah, and um, they do a really cool thing with the story here. (coughs) 
sorry, I choked on something. <laughs> uh, but um, I like that they kind of started similar to season one of True Detective, where you're out in a forest and you see these two cops and they open their trunk and there's a guy tied up in their trunk and stuff and you're wondering what the hell's going on. Um. (coughs) Sip that water, my friend. Sip that water. But uh, over the episodes... They start to, I mean, actually focus more on Hayes, and this is actually Hayes' story, mm-hmm. that it's not about necessarily solving this case. It's more about him trying to remember or at least complete something in his life, for whether it's for um, the last, what he feels are the last wishes of his, uh, dead wife, or if it's something that he just feels like he needs to do for himself to feel like he's a complete whole person. Because this is like an unsolved case that's lived within his entire life. His wife wrote a book about it, so it's actually in the cultural zeitgeist. It's huge, it's popular. I mean, there's a TV show being created for it, and it's, um, it's uh, really cool to see this journey that he takes, and I find it really neat that we always refer to his time and recon in Vietnam and everything, and this actual series ends with him walking into the jungle in Vietnam, which I think is uh, a really neat uh, way of ending the story is where it kind of begins, that he basically has gone through his whole life through all this murkiness and not in like a jungle, just dense and not sure where to go next and everything. But once he actually completes his case and understands what happens, he kind of is okay to let it go. And like says, okay, I have a little bit of clarity for my life. Now it's okay for me to get lost. And I think that's a very poetic way of like ending the series. So I'm curious about that last moment because I had, you know, not not so much of a theory, but I was curious to see we during the show we only got like kind of bits and pieces of what he was doing in the war and when he did even one of the episodes we saw that it seems as though him Hayes in the 2015 year uh, was seeing images and seeing people yeah. and not just uh, seeing Amelia, what was his now, you know, his past or his uh, deceased wife at the time, but he was seeing these figures and almost as if he was seeing these ghosts that was when he was looking out the actual window. And so I was curious about, we didn't see him ever, you know, in the jungle. He talked a bit about it. He talked about some of his yeah. friends that are dying. So it seems that he has like some, uh, you see, like, some, Ghost of Viet Cong haunted yeah, at one time. Exactly. So it seems like he has, like, some stuff that he has to kind of get, basically, I guess, off of his chest and he has to kind of come to terms with. Um, but I, I I interpreted that last moment as being a, a little different, that he was just kind of on going on his next journey. He kind of <laughs> went through and he, he made at peace with something that he never had peace with for years, you know, th- almost 30 years, right? Maybe, maybe longer yeah. than 30 years. And now that he's there, <clears throat> he just wants to kind of keep going on. He now, although he has to uh, 
live with his this condition that he has, which I, I don't know if it was like dementia uh, or Alzheimer's, but he has to now live with that. The fact that the one of the last moments is he's going into the actual woods again, I thought was very interesting. It seems like he's now at a path that he can start a new he can basically start anew. So I was like, hmm, that's actually pretty interesting. I didn't even really think about that too much. Um, what do you think about that last moment? What do you, how does that interpret to you? Uh, yeah, it's it's very interesting to me because um, we, we see him uh, happy on the porch. We see Roland come up, greet him, um, and meet his uh, – his uh, his son's wife and meets his daughter. They hand him sweet tea, which I really love. They're all in rocking chairs on the porch. I mean, I was getting homesick <laughs> watching that. Um, and they're they're like having a happy family moment and just staring out in the uh, woods and stuff uh, while drinking sweet tea. And um, and but then you also see this this look of fear on Hayes's face. And then it zooms in on his eye, and you go into the jungle. And for me, I'd like to think that that look of fear is not is not about him af- afraid of he missed something in the case again, mm-hmm. but it's more of that fear of just mortality. That it is that yeah, it, it your mind's going, you're going to lose things. It's a scary moment, but. This is this is life, and this is something that I feel like he kind of has accepted at the end, that he doesn't really need to put in the effort to solve this case, that he does have some peace, but it's not going to be a total peace. It's something where, um, yeah, his mortality is creeping up on him, and that's the only thing to be scared of now, that everything else is uh, secondary to that. Yeah, I, I actually didn't think about it that way. Um, I guess that's a good that's a good point. I, I also think you know again spoiler. Um, I also think you know the scene that we got right before was when he met up and actually found Julie Purcell, and yeah. she had changed her name, and then we actually learned the fact that she has a bit of a dissociative disorder. So she actually doesn't, doesn't even know who she is because of the medicines that they were um, that Isabella was feeding her. Yep. So, I was also curious to see, and, the, and I loved, I loved that moment to see. It felt like they put that in for the audience to react to see: is he gonna recognize her? They spent all this time, he spent all these yeah. years to find her. He actually, incidentally, sort of found her through reading Amelia's book, and not only reading Amelia's book, but he also found her. Uh, through Amelia talking to him, you know, as a, a ghost or something in his uh, past. <clears throat> and so I was like really sitting there like on the edge of my seat, like, is he going to recognize her? Is he going to say something? And he just he just didn't. And they instilled and they put in um, a small little uh, – I can't remember what the actual literary term is. But they put something in – that they already had mentioned earlier into the actual season. Uh, I guess they were foreshadowing earlier of when Hayes was talking to his son in the police department. He says, what happens if you get lost? He says, I just take out my phone, I just hit this button, and I just call you, and I'll let you know where I am. And we don't see that at all for any of the actual episodes until the final episode he goes and finds her. And he can't remember how he got there. He can't even remember what he's doing there. Picks up his phone, calls... 
and that was like kind of a, that was a really really great moment too and we actually see his daughter so i think that was also like very very fulfilling to the fact that um it definitely kind of meant to me is that although sometimes in your past you try to find peace with a lot of things sometimes you also have to just try to, try to live in the moment and just kind of appreciate what you do have in the entire series and the entire season we didn't really see his daughter i was con- i was convinced his daughter was dead um at the same time i also had a crazy yeah. theory that he was actually purcell and he his daughter was the one who like ran off i was, <laughs> I was going crazy yeah there i mean it could have gone yeah. all over the place um like i, I mean that. i was I was I was waiting for either him or Roland to turn up and have like a pink room somewhere. Yeah, right. Um, just like, which has been nuts. I thought he. I mean, for the for this the longest time because he was having some issues with his memory. I thought that he was the culprit for some of this stuff. Uh, mm-hmm. And then I was like, oh damn! Especially when the new reporter was talking about how you know it seems like there's so many dead bodies. Everybody's kind of basically turning up dead. And we're, nobody seems to have any answers of why they end up turning up dead. Um, and so I thought that was cool. I was like, man, what the hell did he do? Did he? Do, he doesn't even remember what he does did either. So I think that was actually kind of a pretty cool moment. But definitely kind of appreciates yeah. what you have. I, I, I really enjoyed that sequence, although it was heartbreaking as the audience because you wanted to, you wanted his character to fulfill his mission, his goal, you know, his uh, objective. He still got a chance to do that, uh, and that was with him just going through kind of having his family back. Although he still can live with his condition, having West back, uh, Roland West back into his life, and he even talked about how they're going to move in and have the dogs together. So I thought that was actually kind of really, really cool, especially because yeah. they're falling out. Really ended up being because of they killed somebody. So yeah, uh, I was like, I, I guess it's a fair way to fall out. I mean, yeah. if I lose a friend, I mean. I guess we're not the only ones going down, I guess. Tough, tough thing to live with. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah uh, I'm curious. Uh, like, I forget. Did they mention, like, what happened to his daughter? Like, wasn't she mentioning about going somewhere to California or something like that? Yeah, so for it was school interesting. Or, yeah, or, so. Yeah, you're right. Um, okay. It, it was a I little weird. Sure. It was a little bit of weird. And it was a bit of a parallel that I was drawing between that. Um. Because it seems as though his daughter was kind of following in his footsteps of what her, her uh, the footsteps of what Amelia was doing, being in California, being a bit of a rebel, um, going to school there, and when we hear you know Amelia's a, a little bit of her backstory, and I think the first time you get mentioned of her of her his daughter Hayes's daughter is when they're sitting at the dinner table and Hayes has a, a bit of an episode that he kind of forgets and he asks his son about oh I can't wait to see I can't remember her name but I just can't wait to see Harry he gets upset and kind of storms out the actual room as if he doesn't remember so we actually it, it was tough to see I'm like is she alive. And then, you know, yeah. in one of the episodes, I think maybe six or seven, we see that he's in another episode, a, a bit of a memory of when he's dropping her off and when she's going to college, when she's a little bit older. And so you can see that, okay, so it seems as though she's alive, seems that she's kind of gotten out of the picture, she's gotten out of that realm a little bit, so she's gotten out where everybody else seems to be still in that area. But how does that affect her, right? And why did she leave in the first place? Uh, that's just, you know, a couple of the questions that I really never got answered. It's kind of a bummer, but I don't think you can get everything answered, you know? Yeah, and just to explain to our audience a little bit of why this would be seen as a rebellious move, you would think, like, someone who wants to be a writer or more creative would go out to, like, the West Coast or the East Coast 
But uh, when it comes to writing, uh, some of the top writing universities in the nation are University of Arkansas and Fayetteville, which is like a 20-minute drive where they are at, um, or uh, Oxford, Mississippi, or UNC. So the South has a very strong writing, creative writing presence when it comes to uh, higher education. So that's why we get this argument. And I like that they actually kept it grounded to that that culture in that area, which is really cool. Mm-hmm. Um, but uh, I did want to backtrack a little bit and yep. talk about like a bit of the beginning, especially like one character that I really appreciate because I like this actor's work, and that's Scoop McNary yeah. as Tom Purcell, the dad of the uh, missing kids. Um, Scoop McNary always pops up and plays these very tortured roles. <laughs> And he does a great job with it. I guess it's like he has that look or he has that ability to capture just grieving really well. Mm-hmm. And he does a fantastic job in this uh, in this uh, series. I think um, his character is very tragic. We see him struggle with drinking, uh, being a kind of a neglectful parent, along with his wife who's even more neglectful and has her own drug problems as well. Um but uh, I did like this kind of like friendship. Like since Hayes took himself out of the picture, we learned to know that Roland actually started doing these things for Tom to help him get cleaned up, help him actually lead a better life because he had just had both his kids taken away from him and his wife is a complete mess. He has his whole life has been pulled out from underneath him. And so it was cool to see that that side of Detective West, even though he's very edgy and hard-boiled, that he is a person of empathy that can see someone that needs help and is willing to help him out. Uh, and uh, he even, like, we see that friendship grow in, like, very little moments, but it's cool to see that he's still, after... 10 years checking in on them and seeing how is how are the meetings going what's the bible class like and things like that and it's really cool to see oh you think uh tom's life has gotten to a place where he's come to uh acceptance uh, and then um and then this this video comes out of a strange woman in a gas station. Mm-hmm. Uh, and you, and we get this phone calls like that guy that was on the TV. That's not my real dad. Uh, tell him to leave me alone type of thing. And it, it just destroys any good, um, build up that Tom had done for himself as a character. And it takes him over the edge where he starts confronting people and getting violent and everything. And then, Suddenly, uh, we have this character. Oh, what is his name? Who are you talking about? I'm talking about. Is it Mills? The detective that cleaned up, went around cleaning up everything for the uh, Hoyts. Oh, uh, the police officer for the. Uh, that uh, works at the. Uh, so he, so he, he he got hired for Hoyt, right? I think yeah. it may be. I think it may be Mills. I'll look up his name though. But go ahead. Yeah, uh, but this uh, character ends up saying like, "Okay, this guy can derail everything and fakes his own and fakes Tom's suicide essentially." And um, 
that's the reason why um, that's the reason why um, Hayes and uh, Roland grab him is, is grab that officer is because they know something's fishy with the suicide note and with the suicide of Tom Purcell. But overall, I did love what Scoot McNary brought to that role. I thought it was fantastic in it. So the the uh, actor you're talking about was uh, Harris James. Harris yeah, James. I, yeah, so I knew it was like two first names. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, I also like. I have to agree with you. I really, really enjoyed him in this role. Um, and then uh, super sh- a super side note. I just remembered why Hayes' son looks familiar. And I was like, he looks familiar, but he looks normal. Uh, there was something that I recognized <laughs> He didn't from, have all the metal like, on Yeah, him. I was like, oh, he's cyborg. <laughs> Got it. Okay. Uh, yeah. But I did really, really enjoy uh, Purcell. I felt like he was um, a bit of a beacon in this actual show. I know that we talked about our protagonists. We talked about the antagonists. We talked about all the other things. But it really felt like Scoot McNary – he really drove the show with his kind of involvement and engagement, especially when, you know, when he first lost his children, he's kind of all over the place and kind of freaking out and a lot of actions kind of going through him. Then they had to close the case and then he like changes his ways and has a best friend uh, with West, uh, Lieutenant West. And after that, you know, and the uh, phone call comes out, or before the phone call comes out, they get the fingerprints, then, you know, he gets almost back into this, like, oh, man, like, there's a chance, you know, I, I lost hope, but now you're saying that there could be some hope here for me uh, that also leads him to, like, a, a bit of a dark path, which is unfortunate, and he meets up with Mr. James again, um, so I, I really like that he definitely felt like he was a driving force um in the show i I liked his character a lot Uh, i wish and it was kind of a bit of a bummer that i wish that we got a bit more from the mother um especially because i didn't realize she was the daughter of help me out you know this oh super famous the the most famous person like in the world one of the most famous people in the world who was it that you were um the, the daughter, no, the mother. the mother of the daughter. Yeah, her name is Mamie Gummer, but she's the daughter of. She looks exactly like her, Meryl Streep. There we go. Oh, Meryl Streep. Yeah, yeah, I was like, that name sounds familiar. I was like, yeah. Gummer, Gummer, Gummer. Okay. Uh, so I, I kind of wanted a bit more of her, especially when we find out that in the end she was the one who sold off her children. Um, yeah. which is, that sucks. And the fact that you have these detectives who's trying to solve a case that continually keeps getting derailed by all these other things in the story that somebody's trying to leave, uh, when she's just sitting on the answers the, the entire time, I'm curious to go rewatch it and see her expressions. But, um, even her random deaths, right, from an overdose was the drug overdose. That also kind of leads them down a, even more of a bit of a rabbit hole. Um, yeah. But I, I definitely wanted a bit more from her character because it definitely felt like she was just – she kind of played one note the entire series, and that was kind of sad. Um, at least Scoot McNair's character, Purcell, Tom Purcell, he was kind of up and down. He had a lot of rage. He had a bit of an arc, whereas for um, – his name's not Julie Purcell. Her name's Lucy. Yeah. Whereas Lucy, Lucy it felt like they talked more about her from all these other characters, I guess because she already had passed, right? Amelia was going around asking about the bar, asking her friends, asking for pictures. And it felt like we learned more about her when she was not even on screen. That's 
kind of a bummer. Um, I felt like yeah. we could have learned a bit more about her while she was still alive. Granted, she was only alive during the 80s. It looked like she died before the case got reopened in the 90s and after. So I, I kind of get why we didn't learn as much and that we did a lot more with Tom. But I felt Tom was, again, that beacon that we learned so much from in the 80s and then so much from in the 90s. And then we see how he actually died, quote-unquote, self-inflicted gunshot wound, but not quite. Um, yeah. And so I, I think that they could have balanced that out just a little bit more for uh, me to kind of want to like buy in and kind of add her into the actual mix a little bit so that we are she's kind of in on the mystery. I thought that would have been really cool. Yeah. Um, yeah, and like you mentioned Amelia, and uh, Amelia is played by Carmen Jogo, and she does a fantastic job uh, with her character as well. I love like uh, you have this teacher that – sparks interest in this case with kids because she was a teacher to one of the kids and is concerned about their welfare and everything. Um, but also she has this dream of becoming a writer mm-hmm. and that when her relationship with uh, Hayes starts to grow during the case and they become an item, they eventually get married, they have kids, uh, they have a falling out and I... And I guess they have a divorce at one time. Uh, but there's also, it looks like at, at a moment that when they're older, they do reconcile a bit too. Um, and I, I found her journey to be really neat and everything. I thought it was really cool to see that even though she wrote this book, um, it puts, it puts Wayne in a very, um, rough spot when it comes to his job because she wrote this tell-all about this case that went unsolved and the the entire infor- all the information about it leads to kidnapping and a murder uh, that uh, happened and this book it kind of they say um, stops because we assume that this character that was a Native American living there that was collecting garbage. Oh, what was his name? Oh, man, that was a bummer. Um, his character name was uh, Woodard. Woodard. That they find, they ultimately decide to blame the kidnapping or the, the missing uh, daughter and the death of the son on him because they find their backpack and her shirt. Um uh, at his household when they had this big gunfight and everything. Um, but, and it's uh, interesting to see like when she gives her first book reading in a bookstore and everything, we see uh, the one eyed man come in and everything and like criticizes her book. And is like, do you know what you actually wrote here and everything? Uh, we find that Hayes has to choose between his career uh, or denouncing what her book's about and when you look back at it the right thing to do would be to denounce her book and sign that paper discrediting it because that book even though it kind of leads to how uh who where lucy's at um it also kind of poisons their case Mm -hmm. as well especially in the 90s when they tried to uh open it back up and see can they figure this out finally Um, and it's really cool to see that you do get this, um, you do get the good and the bad of like when 
a case like this goes into public perception versus keeping it within the police uh, environment. Uh, it ca- it could do good because you have more awareness of what's going on, but also it could cause a lot of bad because you can also bring a lot of false information into the woodwork as well. And if yeah. people start accepting it as the truth, then it's never going to lead to a to what the truth is. And we find that the truth is still very um, heartbreaking. It's very bittersweet, but it's not very it's not necessarily a criminal case that we find um then uh one thing i do wish they did though with um with amelia is i i wanted to see how she died they they put this like brief moment where we see um we see hayes as a chief of security at the college that she's teaching at and they're both old they both got gray in their hair so we even have this like unique extra jumping point Mm -hmm. that's even like 10 years after the 90s where she's teaching at a college he's the chief of security there and he's just standing at her doorway and smiling at her reading to her students and she smiles back and i'm like oh okay so they had this rough patch but it looks like they reconciled and they're still a loving happy family but we know when we see her at that moment she's about to die very soon or a few years after when we see her and I thought it'd be interesting to see like what is what did that moment look like what did it mean to Hayes before he starts getting in this time frame where he has this memory loss issues and everything what how did that impact his life when she dies yeah and that's a good point because majority of the time and all throughout this is only eight episodes right so out of the eight episodes we have only been in these three, like they set the parameters, right? You're telling me and we're going to set the timelines. The only stories that we're going to tell is the time from the 80s, the time from the 90s, and the time from 2015. And uh, we can also tell by the hairstyles that Mahershala Ali has, which is great. <laughs> which, other, other note, other super weird side story. In 2015, Mahershala Ali was reminding me so much of my father and how he was dressing. Oh, wow. I almost couldn't watch it. I was like, this is too weird. I, I got I don't like it at all. Anyways, um, and so it's – once you deviate from that path, there's a reason. And in my mind, I always think of, oh, this has to be something bigger, right? Like if you're going to tell me a time that's outside of those three, like outside of this realm, why are you going to do this? Are you going to be leaving it up to something else or not? Is this just weird flashbacks? One of the things I was thinking of is I guess this is just more the inner workings, the inner machinations of Hayes' mind and how really he has the ability to kind of process. He's just living through everything as if it's every day and these memories are just going to, is hitting them in waves. But – Again, we had mentioned that moment, right? Like that was one huge moment that they deviated from the timeline. That's not 2015. That's definitely not 1990. That's something in between. Why are you showing us this? It's important to us to know, but we didn't quite get why you're showing. And we also didn't quite get why uh, and how Amelia died unless I missed it. We actually don't know that information. And she was a pretty vital character throughout this entire series and so that kind of dies off screen it's kind of weird and that also leads me to what we were talking about earlier right 
we are started with 1980s. We have no idea what happened previously between before the 1980s. Yeah. They end the show all the way, right, when Hayes was going back when he was in the war. And that's another thing in which, wait, hold up. Like, you already told me these three timelines. Now, in the last two episodes, you give me these two other times that we Extra are. Extra timelines, we, yeah. Yeah, we're not entirely sure. Yeah, so that's also kind of led me to believe that what's, what's really going on here? I, I need to learn a bit more about what's going on. I want to learn about this actual time. There's a reason you're showing me this, but I'd, I'd love to know some more information. I get why, if the series is going to end, why you can't show us that. Okay, fine. You can end up as a bit of a cliffhanger. I understand. But then in the in between, I'd really like to know why you're showing me this information or why you're showing me when Hayes goes and visits Amelia. Um, kind of uh, se- seemingly not for the first time, right? He's done that a lot. Um, but I'd like to know that. I, I'd like to know a little bit more about that. Yeah, um, it, it's interesting because it starts to get a little hazy <laughs> uh, about um, what is what is uh, a moment where it's play it's a Hayes' mind playing tricks on him, and what is a moment that he's actually remembering everything. Like I think um, one of the best scenes or one of the best moments in the show is when. Um, when Hayes and Amelia go on a double date with uh, Roland and this girl he meets at the Catholic Church, and that oh man, Roland is fantastic there, where he's like just walking around the church, is just like wow, there's a lot of pretty ladies here, and so he just like finds the prettiest one, starts talking to her, and so you eventually see like this double date happening, and then you actually jump to. Um, you jump to 2015 where um, Hayes and Roland are meeting essentially for the first time after 25 years. And Hayes, like, he, he meets them and he's like, where's so-and-so? I think her name was, like, Jessica or Jennifer. And he's like, what are you talking about? It's mm-hmm. like, that's not that didn't become a thing. That was just me flirting with a girl one time. And I'm like, oh, he actually thinks that Roland had a life and relationship yeah. and stuff and like and was hoping for the married, best for him yeah he's asking about married he asked him if he had kids and he's like no what no i didn't do any yeah. of that yeah yeah and, and it's very sad to see like his mind is betraying him like that and even to the point where like we see when hayes decides not to sign that paper to discredit uh amelia's book when he packs up all his stuff and everything, he tells Roland. I, Roland's like, at the end, like, is talking about procedure and professionalism. But the last thing he asks about is, "What about us?" And and Hayes says, "Yeah, we'll, we'll get beers. We'll go to games. It's okay." And then twenty five years pass, nothing happens, mm-hmm. and that's like the one of the most. It's a amazing scene, but it's also very heartbreaking because you see Roland just standing there with his head down. He knows like nothing good's going to come from this, and uh, you see this slow buildup of Hayes being transitioned into this information processing uh, basement, basically, yeah. which is just like the ty- the sounds of the typewriters are just starting to annoy him as soon as he walks into the room. And it's very sad to see, like, he makes this one choice and it kind of just 
breaks up this really cool partnership, but also starts to lead them kind of astray. Yeah, and I think, you know, you even hit it on the head earlier when you are talking about um, how good of a character Lieutenant West is, or, you know, I keep calling him Lieutenant West, but how good of a character <laughs> Roland West is. And Roland is, you know, during the 1990s when they were seemingly kind of hit a couple dead ends, they're not entirely sure, it was right before, it was like right after the case kind of, when they were about to, actually this was right after the case closed, so they were kind of arguing. He was like, you know, he had said something on, along the lines of, I, I, "I asked for you to bring you back. I know you're. I know you're good. I wanted you to be on this. I like. I didn't. I could have asked anybody else, but I asked for you specifically because I know that you're good for this. I know it can bring you back. I know that's something that you want to do. You don't want to be stuck on the actual desk." Um, which I didn't realize. I thought he was bringing them back because of uh, you know something else, uh, but like even for unfinished business. But it was like no, I wanted this to restart your career. I wanted to get you back on the actual path so that we can sort of move forward and build towards what we were trying to do back in the eighties. That it just didn't happen, um, and he had you know and again it was another kind of ultimate sacrifice to the point where a lot of times, a lot a lot of instances in which. I felt like Hayes had to make a difficult decisions, difficult choices more and more. Um, you know, one of the first ones we see is that when he had to kill Brett Woodard, which is uh, that was a heartbreaking uh, moment, and that was a really, really yeah. sad scene, especially because he was innocent entirely. You know, Woodard was innocent. Uh, we yeah. see some blowback later on for his family coming back. And that was in the 80s, and basically that's how that case had to close. And then in the 90s, the case had to close because he had to choose between Amelia or uh, his career, uh, Amelia's book or his career. So that's another reason why that case had to close too. So it's just like, shit, man, that's that's actually kind of tough to be living with some of these choices of, you know, he could, it could have went a different way, but either was it pride, um, was it he didn't really have a choice, it was life or death. Obviously, you know, killing Brett Woodard was a bit of a life or death, but I felt like there could have been things yeah. that they could have avoided um, that shootout because I did not realize that shootout was going to happen. By the way, I was like, "Oh shit, yeah. this is crazy." When uh, uh, when Woodard pulled out that bag, did you think it was a body at first? Pulled out the bag, like the wrapped bag that has all the guns. Oh no, no, because no. because they pull that out in one episode and then the episode ends, and then we see what happens in the next episode. I thought that was guns. I, uh, you thought I, that were guns? I, yeah, okay. I, I, I assumed that was kind of guns. When they, especially when they were walking through his house and the thing they were talking about that he actually served, I think mm-hmm. early on there was a um, like an alignment between Hayes and Woodard's character that they both are sort of damaged and yeah. ha- has gone through some stuff that's not quite – um, has the ability to kind of heal and hasn't quite kind of opened up and kind of talked about it. And so we see how it's affecting people differently. We see how Hayes is uh, – we see how Hayes is dealing with it and kind of going through and going through life with it, right? He finds love in the most unfortunate scenarios, right? If it wasn't for this missing child's case, he never would have found his wife, Amelia. And right. so we see that one path of what Hayes is doing and then we see Brett Woodard's path – He's by himself, you know, completely innocent, going around. He had a family and kids yeah. at one time. Apparently, apparently, right? And they were like, no, you didn't. Shut up. And he did. He yeah. actually did. But, you know, he's going around. He basically is um, a trash man. He's going dumpster diving, kind of 
collecting a bunch of different people's trash as collecting and that's what something that he wants to do but they both served uh and so i think that's also something that i i'd be curious to go back and like rewatch to see what sort of messages that you're sending for there because we we spend a lot of time in that uh veterans only bar um that the ba lodge Lodge, yeah that uh, hayes felt the most comfortable with and you know fast forward to one of the last episodes we see that amelia goes and meets him there and basically says no i don't i'm not gonna have anybody like talk to me like that and basically go goes back and tries to get their marriage and another go this is back in the 90s and seemingly that's kind of the last fight that they have before hayes just quits you know he leaves the police force entirely and uh, they just go and um you know enjoy their life (laughs) Yeah, and let, let me look up uh, some text messages I sent you earlier because I remember their fights are some of my favorite moments just because the dialogue is so good. Mm-hmm. And let me see if I could – oh, yeah, here it is. So um, before I get into like the brotherhood of or, like military fraternalism and stuff like that, I did want to mention whenever Amelia and Hayes fight, it's amazing just because of how – cold <laughs> Hayes is because he, he's not yelling at her. He's not getting aggressive, but he he has some of the best clapbacks I've ever heard in this show. <laughs> like one time when she's arguing with him, when they're like, we feel like they're kind of on the outs and the kids are like in the living room watching TV and everything. Um, he walks into a room and or she walks into his office and everything. They start uh, arguing about something. Oh, it's because she actually said she was his ex-wife to a detective that asked mm-hmm. about the case and everything. And after they, when they start arguing, he just cuts the argument down cold by saying, I'm not here to trade cusses. I've said my piece. Love and I'm that. like, damn, that was <laughs> harsh. And then the first time she walks into the VA lodge, um, like the bartender's like, oh, you didn't serve any time. We can't serve you here. And like, and uh, Hayes kind of vouches for her. Mm-hmm. But then when we see them near the end, where it feels like, okay, it looks like they're leading to a divorce or something. That um, that he's like, I'm sorry. Did you serve time in a foreign uh, area? Should you be in here? Oh. And that's all he says to her. And I'm like, damn, this is so good because. We're not getting this like in your face yelling and screaming or violence or anything. We're getting this like cold shoulder like edge and chip that speaks more volumes, I think, because it's a lot more subtle, but it's also very smart. It shows how smart these characters are as well. I really like one of the best clapbacks, uh that's what we're talking about, is <laughs> when uh they're arguing uh they, they argue a lot apparently. But they're arguing yeah. and she goes He's like, don't don't talk to me like that. Why are you talking to me like that? Why like don't talk to me like that? She's like, why? Why? What are you gonna do? He's like, well, if you keep talking like that, I- I'm gonna cry. And I was like, oh man, that's a great line. I did not see that coming at all. And even her, Amelia was like, oh, that's a first. I I didn't see that yeah. at all. <laughs> and so I was like, yeah, bro. Like I like this little difference of a character. Like he's a hard ass character, but at the same time, he has feelings and. Um, yeah. I, I like the fact that he was he he was pretty honest. You know, he was still 
um, you know, stunted. You know, he, there was still ways in which yeah, he could have shared a little bit better, right? He's hurting, but I felt as though that he was pretty. You know, he was pretty open. He at least kind of pretty honest, especially with one of their dates. And I think they were talking about the case, you know, fairly open in public when there's a waitress <laughs> walk up. It's like, oh, shit. And so um, I, I do like the fact that, again, I think we when you had mentioned earlier, right, one of the things that it was really difficult for me to buy in for season two is because I just couldn't really relate to any of these characters. I, I've never been to California, right? I've never been a police officer. There's a lot of other things I've just never been. Yeah. <laughs> but I've seen enough shows. I've seen enough movies to be like, oh, oh, cool. I get it, right? And so I've never been to Arkansas. You know, I never, I don't even know what a LARP was. I, you know, I've never been to Vietnam, but at least I can relate to these characters a bit more. I can care less if he's his black or white. I still related really, really well really well with uh, Roland West especially when everything falls out and he finds his little dog and he just starts taking care of this dog and then you know it's kind of a a flash forward or flash that bar fight's amazing yeah that was I mean it's just like it's things like that that you kind of injecting they kind of putting this in they just shows the realness of people right they shows that people are hurting and they shows the fact that you don't necessarily have to turn to a bottle or drugs to um kind of go out and kind of let out some of this actual anger that you do have now don't necessarily keep it pent up right because people are going to think that you're paranoid right and that's i for sure thought for the longest time i'm like that dude's paranoid. There's nobody sitting outside his house. Yeah, there is actually. There's somebody who's been sitting out there almost every day, and so I I just like the fact that they have and they've shown a sense of uh, vulnerability with a lot of these characters that allows me to kind of feel with them, and it allows me to get a bit more buy-in. It has nothing to do with the mystery or anything. It's just how these characters are constructed in this day and age, especially if we're going from time to time to time, um, to the point where. Even when he's older, he's t- in, in 2015. He still got it. He's still a. F- uh, he's still smart. It just no. his mind isn't as healthy as it used to be, right? So he then sways back and forth no. in another time, and so he may not necessarily be there, which is kind of unfortunate. Yeah, and um, yeah, like one thing I really liked about the show was this whole idea of the uh, military fraternalism, or. Mm-hmm. Uh, like serving service and recognizing that that we see it a lot in uh, a lot of character moments like uh, we're introduced to Hayes and uh, Roland as like uh, he talks about his partner Purple Hayes that he's a tracker he'll he'll find anybody and we see that talent that skill and how amazing it is well uh, with the with the um, finding of um, with uh, Julie's or Julie's brother uh, dead in the cave um, but also like the idea of him being recon versus Roland, who is uh, just quartermaster and supply. I mean, there's definitely two different um, avenues and lives, even in a war, uh, in a theater of war, what you're doing like recon they're uh, I mean, they're more than likely not expected to come back if the shit hits the fan, because you're asking just like a small group of people to like scout ahead See, are there booby traps? Are these tunnels safe to go into? Is are we able to ambush this enemy patrol line if we mark up here? If we go a thousand clicks into the jungle, and you know, if your recon patrol does not come back, you know it's dangerous because they're dead. Or if they do come back, hopefully they got a lot of good intel for you. So there's only 
two ways a recon, uh, life of a recon can go. So, uh, it's very, very, um, it's very, very lucky that he actually got out of Vietnam alive. Whereas, Roland as quartermaster, he was probably at a base constantly, just making sure supplies got to where they need to go. Kind of a cushy job unless his base got attacked. Um, and then we also meet, uh, uh, oh, who was, Woodford. Is it Woodford? Woodard. Woodard. Yeah, we meet Woodard. He was infantry. So, yeah, he's the grunt with the gun and shooting at the bad guy, being told to shoot at the bad guy, which, I mean, we can see that, I mean, he is a damaged person from whether it's that experience, but also he, we see as soon as they share their military history, uh, Woodard has the utmost respect for Hayes and Roland as police officers because of that shared, um, that shared experience that they have from Vietnam. Uh, and then we later on meet uh, Michael Rooker comes out of nowhere. <laughs> love his – I love that cameo. First of yeah. all, love me some Michael Rooker. Yeah, Michael like, Rooker's oh, great. Yes. <laughs> and, I mean, we get him for this brief moment as Hoyt, who is this big uh, chicken farmer. Uh, I guess it's an allusion to Tyson Foods because they're based in northwest Arkansas. Um, and um, – and, I mean, we see him, he's in a limo, he's going into the forest, uh, and um, and he's always drinking a bottle of whiskey and looks disheveled and haggard, but he even shares his war stories that he served in Korea and that he was like one of the few people to live out of his unit in minus 30 degree weather, that they were sent to be slaughtered, and it was a, and they were there so the Marines could actually um, escape and so they put their lives up for the marines to get out of a sticky situation which uh, seems like he was damaged by too but like we learned that he also has a whole lot of family issues that are happening down the road and even though we get don't get to learn more about Hoyt and he's kind of he's kind of a uh, set up like to make us feel like oh is he the big bad guy of this because we get the illusion of um it's one of my favorite things that they do with this show and they they do it so well because they don't hit you over the head with it but it's nice that they acknowledge the other seasons uh oh, that yeah. we get this we get this uh we the reason why they reopen the case is like is because they talk about, oh, these two police officers in Louisiana uh, stopped this um, serial um, murderer and rapist that was possibly kidnapping on behalf of a um, slavery ring uh, to export people for uh, sexual slavery and things like that, that that could have been – there could be connections here. And they kind of allude to maybe Hoyt is the big name behind – this more darker edge that's happening in the Ozarks here. Um, but, I mean, that completely becomes totally not the case. That's not why he's a weird, hard-drinking dude. So this whole, um, like, human trafficking scenario that they brought up to kind of connect it to season one, I like that they did that. But it's neat that they also kind of leave it to be that it's a um, 
it's not a false pigeon, but red it's herring. a <laughs> red herring. <laughs> oh. I just make up shit. Yeah, I was like, a false what? pigeon. <laughs> uh, I was sitting, I was sitting here on the term red herring. I'm like, I know he's gonna say it. I'm sure he's gonna say it at some point. Nope, he didn't say it. Uh, yeah, I mean, they do that a lot. I love the fact that there were so many misdirections. There's so many red herrings that they were using. I was very curious about that one because I was all about it and then it was like, nah, not really. But I was like, but wait a second though. There is still some foul play here that I think that wasn't really addressed. Um, yeah, what happened to Dan Bryant? <laughs> we know, no. we know who killed, yeah. No, but, but I think like, I mean, well, I guess Hayes and Roland are the only ones that put it together that Tom is not does not commit suicide or they get a feeling that he doesn't commit suicide and like everybody else it's an open and shut thing. Yeah. So there's no, there's no mystery behind that. But we don't know because, uh, when we do meet the Hoyt it, it, it definitely seems like he's kind of sort of innocent, but you're not entirely sure because he's clearly looking like a bad dude. I mean, it's um, my girl, so <laughs> yeah, exactly. Right. Uh, so it, it I was curious when that was mentioned because they they found that information about the dolls and the, that sort of stuff. They found that out in 2015, right? They didn't put anything two and two together in the actual time frame, probably because they couldn't. But those dolls were also being created by a random church lady too. That was um, part well, of the they church. Were, they were sold at the Catholic church like functions and stuff. Yeah, but the, that lady That's that we done. met, she made she made them. Yeah, she made the dolls. Yeah, and so I, I guess for me, this is a, a, a bit of my uh, weird kind of sort of – I got to put my tinfoil hat on what that Dr. Bob talks about. I was like, wait, so uh, <laughs> I don't think it's coincidence that that is the same type of doll that was used in season one. I think there is no, like some not. connection. Yeah, I think there was like some connection there that at that time and – during this story, that was just one of the to- that was just one of the things. I, for me, it felt like there is a connection, but there's so much other shit around that they can never get to that connection. They can never actually fully kind of uh, f- open it up and kind of solve the case as much as they wanted to, because uh, there was so much other shit that is kind of just kept getting piled and piled on them. Uh, but I, I, I was I was kind of bummed, but I was also excited. First of all, I was kind of bummed. And I was like, wait, hold up. If I get these four dudes in one room, I'm going to lose my shit. That will be great. But I knew that it's not going to happen. Um, but I was curious to just kind of see, oh, that was a crazy thread that they were kind of pulling from this. Are we going to get a weird crossover? That would be great. Um, but I feel like that could come back. once. If this comes back for season four, I'll be curious to see if that comes back. Because now we're provided with a story that's pretty large, right? We have a story that's in Louisiana. We have a story that's in California that I think is going to be kind of thrown away, to be honest with you. Yeah. So I think we It'd have be hard a, to connect that. <laughs> yeah. But we have a story that's in Louisiana. We have a story that's in Arkansas, right? And so we, we have a bunch of different timelines. And now we know that these timelines has inter, um, interjected or intersected at some point. And so – because that not just a coincidence, right? There's still something happening. Uh, you know, it was it coincidence that Harrison James flew when Lucy had overdosed. Was it is it coincidence that um, Dan O'Brien just body just ran up, turned up, 
dead randomly, which is also kind of weird. Uh, also to the fact that everything in that Hoyt was basically the Hoyt's uh, manor or that a uh, company was kind of behind everything up until 2015. It seems like it was kind of abandoning, I guess, repossessed and owned by the government or by the the state or whatever. And so I was always, I was, there was a lot of other sort of unasked, uh, unsolved questions that I'm like, yeah, there's still a case here, but I guess yeah. we're not gonna, I, I guess we can't kind of unpack that because there's just so many other things they have to unpack. Yeah. And, and even though we see Harrison James's demise and we see the role he essentially played was for some reason, many years ago, he was the officer that kind of was the first on site to the wreck of um, of uh, Hoyt's wife's uh, or no Hoyt's uh, daughter's, daughter's husband and child and grandchild uh, that their deaths in a car and everything and he wanted to help clean this up for some reason. Uh, we don't know the motivations behind that, whether or not he just wanted an end to a rich family or that there well, he, were other motivations. covered it up. I think, I, I, I think that's when they found him because he found out he has the power to cover it up. They didn't want it to be such a huge scandal what actually had happened. And so that's when he came into their service. Harris, Harris James started working for them way back when. Uh, and then that also yeah. then puts a domino effect of him planning the evidence and everything else that's happening. Yeah, I mean, he becomes essentially like Hoyt's fixer for when bad things happen, and um, and but also I think it's it's interesting because like yeah, someone that's like super rich, especially in an area like that, if even though he it doesn't seem like Hoyt personally ever did anything directly like criminal like he didn't really murder anybody or anything it's just like he had a lot of tragedies and things where he didn't want people asking questions about that he took like he took the um he took the easy way out and used harris james for that but also it is like a mystery is harris james somebody that this was something he's always done or is this something that one day is like, you know what? My life could be a bit better if I do some work for this guy mm-hmm. um, because he could definitely pay more than what the police force can. So um, it's it, he becomes a bit of a interesting character because we don't get to know much more about him. He's just kind of there and then he goes. And um, it's unfortunate that we don't get more understanding of who Harris James is. Yeah, I agree. Uh, there's, yeah, there's, there's, there's a few things that I was kind of bummed about. I was like, man, I kind of want to learn more about this. Um, and I think it was just like, hey, we want to sh- tell you this story that we have. Like, there's not going to be any story that's 100% satisfactory, right? So we have to tell you from what we constructed the, a fitting into these characters. Um, and it's not always going to end in a, in a gunfight. It's not going to all going to end some weird kind of crazy murder. Um, I enjoyed the fact that this was a bit more subtle. Uh, this actually was an accident, and and so many other weird kind of cover ups that just kind of boiled up to be something problematic. Um, so, uh, uh, and so I thought that was uh, I, I, I really like I really like that. I like I, I really enjoyed the season a lot. I mean, I yeah. I can't. I, 
uh, I'm probably going to kind of rewatch it sometime soon. Maybe. I mean, there's a lot of other stuff out there, but I do want to rewatch this again to get a, a deeper understanding. I think se- season one, I watched at least five or six times. Um, so I'll definitely want to do that. Season two, barely watched it one time. <laughs> I did enjoy it for the time being, yeah. but I think, again, we talked about it, right? After watching something else, clearly it seems like these showrunners were like, oops, our bads, let's not do that again. And so now I'm like, oh, maybe it wasn't as good as I thought, right? Looking at hindsight, so we'll see. Yeah, uh, I, I did really love this season. I think it's um, a really cool um I like that they kind of uh, took the time to kind of put you back into this southern gothic uh, film uh, noirish tale, and then pull the rug out from under your feet, and we get a we get a really well told story of a man facing his mortality, and we get to see Mahershala Ali act the shit out of essentially what I would say are three different characters, because that's the cool thing about this is like as we get old, like. We're not the same person we were 10 years ago or 20 years ago or 30 years ago. And Mahershala does an amazing job of just making that work with every single time frame and everything. Uh, that you could even put them up for three different awards for <laughs> pretty much the same act, uh, same role just because that's how good it is. And, I mean, the guy just won uh, an Oscar for his role in Green Book. Uh, and he even won an Oscar for his role in Moonlight. So uh, the man is really talented, and yeah, he should be nominated for all the awards, including him with Stephen Dorff. Um, and also, I mean, I would even put Scoot McNary in there, even though he's not there through all the episodes. I think Scoot McNary just does this type of character fantastic. I thought um, you were going to say something about Alita Battle Angel. I mean, Mahershala wears shades really well, too. Um, <laughs> yeah, so true, um, so true. But uh, what I would ask you is, if there's a true detective season four, um, where would you like to be it set, or where would you, what would you like it to be about? Yeah, that's a good point, because I feel like they need to go back to uh, season one and three. Not, no, not so much season two, but something that has a good amount of uh, believability or buy-in from from people and I'd love to see something that we an area that we haven't quite seen before either overseas right something maybe international maybe Alaska something a bit more remote like these places here um, or I think if they do were to kind of flip it on its head and say you know what let's do a true detective like New York City or something like that um, or Chic- nah, probably not Chicago but like New York City or something that's uh, maybe Chicago whatever uh, but something that's a bit more kind of cityed because there's a bunch of other shit that is kind of going on there. And uh, I think that will be a couple of cool areas for it. I think my first gut will tell me, like, I think it will be, be nice to check something out that's, that is international, something outside of the U.S., um, just to see, you know, get a bit of subtitles, kind of get a kind of understanding. Just because there's a lot of deeper, I feel, right, there's a lot of deeper rooted um, either religious beliefs or other disbeliefs that people necessarily have that, tends to be a lot more things that are covered up. Um, so I think that would be actually kind of pretty cool. Uh, but, you know, I definitely don't mind it being in Tennessee or Georgia because you know there's some there's some shit that's happening down there. So Orlando. Oh, like, <laughs> OBT, bro. There's some shit happening in OBT. That monorail. 
I used to live in OBT. I'm telling you, man, shit was crazy. So, uh, yeah, I mean, like, I think that's going to be probably some of the locations that I, I dig a lot. Um, I'm trying to think of even places that have, like, some funny accents that will also be pretty cool. What, do you, what, do, what, do you, what about you? Um, yeah, I mean, it, it seems from these three seasons that Nick Pozzolato's uh, comfort zone is in the South. I mean, he's from New Orleans, so he definitely knows that material much better than most places, than other places. Um, I think, I mean, two words I got for him are Texas Rangers. Um, Texas I, Rangers... They are a very unique law enforcement unit. Um, You could go either way with it, showing like modern Texas Rangers or go to the past because they were kind of – they're kind of given like carte blanche to do whatever the hell they want to actually uh, bring in the people that they were uh, at task to do. And they were basically um, government-issued bounty hunters, Mm. which is what – what Texas Rangers are. Uh, and if you put it into like the panhandle of Texas or even Dallas, Fort Worth, I mean, you could go all over the state of Texas just because it's a huge place and there's actually a lot of diversity to Texas as a state. Um, like the panhandle is like kind of a no man's land. West Texas is like full of these oil fields and cattle ranches that could be uh, explored. Um, and then you also have. Some of the biggest cities in the nation with Dallas, Fort Worth, and Houston, which could be some amazing, like, just sprawling urban environments to explore yeah. as well. That would be cool. I'm, I, yeah. I'm, I, I, I don't know if we have to wait another four years um, because yeah. it seems as though they're doing it every four years. So that would be kind of a bummer. Um, <laughs> it seems though they're not. But uh, what the first season was in 20. 20- 14, 14, second season 2015, third season 2019. Um, yeah. So I, I, I'd love um, I'd love to have like an, another series sometime soon, maybe within the next year or so. I think that'd be pretty cool. Hopefully they are working on it. I just I, – it, it's obviously it is clear to me that the location is probably really key. After that, the casting is also yeah. very key uh, because I thought – Vince Vaughn, Colin Farrell, Rachel McAdams, and do name I can never remember Taylor Kitchens. I know. Um, no. I thought that that was a that's. It sounds like a pretty good cast on paper, but those characters were just poorly constructed. Uh, when you compare them to the out other characters, the Russ and the um, Lieutenant West, uh, Robin no. West, and the uh, Purple Haze, you know, and it's just like, damn, that's kind of a bummer. But uh, yeah. yeah, I think that'd be cool. And Vince Vaughn remind me how good of an actor he is by going to see Fighting with My Family. So, oh nice. I mean, the, the dude could definitely could have done more with like that role that he was given. It was just kind of uh, tough. It felt like he was supposed to be like a kingpin esque character, trying to go straight. Yeah, but it's it just didn't work for um, I guess for the show. It could have worked from a different show, a different perspective. Yeah. Who who would be your dream casting for another season? Oh man, I feel like we have to switch it up because we got a lot of dudes here, and so I feel like we have to have. I'm trying to think of one of some of my favorite women that's that's out here for right now. I do really enjoy Tessa Thompson. 
but she also looks very similar to Carmen Diego. So mm. I don't know if that works out, but whatever. Uh, I think Tessa Thompson would be kind of pretty cool. She's a pretty, uh, she's a really, really great um, actress. Um, I'm trying to think of some other you know, really good female characters or just women actresses. Um, I don't know. I gotta think about this. I, I I'd like to see Tom Hanks in something like something a little more darker. <laughs> I know, like him as like the head of the uh, the um, detective uh, bureau or something like exactly, that. Exactly. Exactly. That'd be cool. Um, I think. Let's see. We have like some rising stars coming up. Yeah. I mean, really Emily. Th- I like Emily Blunt. I mean, I, she I does good that. stuff. Yeah, but at the same time, I, I, I'd be very, very nervous that her role will be too close to Sicario. True. You know? So, it's Claire possible. Foy. Oh, man. Oh, man. <laughs> yes. Make it happen, Brylan. Brylan, <laughs> make this happen. I yeah. yeah, that's that's my dream cast. That is my dream cast. Claire Foy and Tessa Thompson. With that Tom Hanks as their like supervisor or whatever, like <laughs> those three, if I guarantee you, if they're like, you know what, this is the new cast, everybody's gonna flock to it. It's like, yeah, of course, we're gonna watch that. Duh, yeah, that'd be dope. I'll be, I'll be down for that. Yeah, um, I don't know why, but like since he's been doing a lot of suspense thrillers and actually been getting a lot of good uh, praise for his like his suspense uh, thrillers. Um, I kind of want to see John Cho. Oh, interesting. I think he'd be. I think it'd be pretty cool as a detective. He had, the, he had a pretty good movie. Um, Searching, I think it was called. Searching, yeah, yeah. I, I he really had another that. one that came out last year that was along the similar lines of a suspense thriller, but and he got rave reviews for as well. Um, but like, I think because he's been doing like these really cool, um, like hard boiled, like mystery thrillers recently that he might be a good fit for like a hard-boiled detective show hard-boiled is your word bro oh hard-boiled i would love to have i would love to have a true detective that's a guest director of jordan peele that would be dope like have him be be on there yeah Yeah. i think that actually would be pretty cool or have Keegan Michael Key play one of the no, time? No, no. <laughs> I know exactly where you're going with that. No, we're not doing that. <laughs> Keegan Michael Key and uh, and Thomas Jane. <laughs> Tom- <laughs> no, I know where you're going with that. We're not going to bring up that movie. Let's not do that. That was a shitty movie. We're we're good. We're past that. Lasting thoughts, Brylin. What you got for True Detective season three? Uh, True Detective Season 3, uh, I felt it was a fantastic season. Um, like, 9 out of 10 would watch again. Um, I, I love just all the uh, red herrings that they put in to kind of make you feel like it's going to be a lo- another dose of Season 1, but it becomes something totally different. Uh, Mahershala Ali and Stephen Dorff and Scoob McNary are definitely standouts with the acting. Um, also, um, oh man, I closed IMDb. Uh, Amelia, Amelia's actress is fantastic as well. Um, I just, I feel like near the end, because they just have eight episodes, 
maybe some things were just uh, wrapped up a little too neat, and maybe they needed another episode or so to kind of explore other things like Harris James or uh, maybe not have the big exposition dump from uh, from the uh, – what was the gentleman's name at the end that just tells Mr. him like – Mr. June, Junius. Mr. June. Yeah. Mr. June, like having uh, having a little bit more build up to that story or earning that story a little bit more instead of just sitting at a table and hearing it from him. Even though I think the end of that story is fantastic, how he wants them to kill him and they, he wants them to either take him to jail or kill him because he's he's old. He has he's. He's confessed his sins, even though he is not really a criminal in any way. So uh, I love how Hayes just says, we don't have the authority to do that. And they both pick up their guns at the same time. And they pause for a second, then they just walk out the door. And for some reason, he feels like he needs to be punished. He was obstructing justice. He he definitely is at fault. And he... I don't, I don't. He's not to blame. I mean, he for could he could have come out and explained like, "Hey, this is what happened yeah. long, long time ago." Um, but uh, I, yeah, it's it's interesting to say like if you keep those secrets just out of loyalty to a man that showed you kindness and that you helped throughout this life with raising his daughter and everything, is is it a criminal act? And I like that gray area of it. It's you. you you can go either way with it, and I think that's a fantastic like end to that story. But I wish there was more uh, time taken to build up to that moment with Mister June. Interesting. Yeah, I mean, I um, I agree with you. I think the strongest things and the strongest moments of this actual season was just the amount of setup and detail that they have with their characters and all their journeys. It should have definitely gotten two more episodes. I think a nice 10, ten episode season um, probably could have uh, breathed a bit more um, explanations that we needed. Uh, Carmen Ijogo uh, that you were talking about. Uh, yeah, her character kind of disappeared. There was just a lot of stuff that I'd like to see exactly what happened with it. You know, we talked about that moment of, you know, uh, Hayes going up and looking at Amelia when she was teaching. I'd like to kind of expand out that a little bit more. Why did his daughter leave in the first place? Why did his son choose to be a police officer? And uh, we understand he's having an affair, which is, I guess, cool. They just didn't even, like, address it anymore, which I think it was okay. I don't really have too many concerns Was he that. sleeping with the, uh, yeah. the documentary? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. I, I got a feeling it was like... They either they were or they weren't, and I, and I guess like, uh, yeah, like Hayes called him on his bullshit, yeah, yeah, <laughs> type of thing. So there's a, there's a lot of unanswered questions that I assume that you're going to get from uh, a crime sort of series, but I feel like there was enough that's like I feel like you could have you could have navigated just a little bit easier to give us a, a bit more detail. Uh, Amelia's character was so important that just literally died off screen. That was a bummer, and we just got yeah. her. In shades as if she's kind of a ghost uh, And it seems as though they were trying to Introduce a supernatural element to this That I'm not sure If that was kind of intentional or not um, So I think with those two other episodes They could have probably kind of cleaned up a, a few different things But at the same time You know it's a you know Pro and con this you know I definitely don't want them to stretch out the series Just for the sake of explaining a couple of the side characters So 
I'm torn, right? I'd rather you not maybe do two more episodes, but give me maybe 15, 30 minutes more on the last few episodes so that it could explain this a little bit, a little bit better. I think that would have been um, super helpful. Yeah. If Game of Thrones can get 90-minute episodes, why can't True Detective? 90-minute? Why stop there? 120. College boy. Come on now. Eight-hour episodes. No, no, now you're crazy. Okay. <laughs> you, you lost me at eight hours. <laughs> and with that, we are the Down Front Podcast. Thanks, everybody, for tuning in to our last call segment. Uh, I don't remember if we ever talk about what we've been watching and what we're going to be reviewing next. Uh, but check out more of our work at downinfrontpodcast.com. Brylin, where can people find more of your work? Uh, you can find me on Twitter at Brylin, B-R-I-L-U-N-D. Just oh, being on Twitter. That's yeah. on Twitter? No, nothing's, nothing no, no, fancy. Nothing crazy. Um, maybe some stone cold clapbacks. Who knows? <laughs> there we go. There we, go. <laughs> we got a lot um, of content out, so I'm excited for that. So we have a good amount of episodes coming out. We have... Uh, by the time you hear this, you're going to have some stuff that's already circulating. Uh, and so definitely get prepared, get ready. We're going to be doing the uh, – probably the largest review we're going to have is the Captain Marvel. So that's probably going to be um, the biggest seven hours release. Long. Eight hours. Seven eight hours. hours. Come on, man. <laughs> I, got, I, got a, I don't have a life. I need to do eight hours. Uh, yeah, so I'm pumped about that. Thanks, everybody, for tuning in. Um, thanks for joining, and we will see you later. Good night. Bye-bye. Bye-bye.